Hello, welcome to the Find Your Calm podcast. I'm Noelle C. Guevara, a pastor, educator, and writer, learning to navigate faith and family and being a person in this chaotic life. Here in season two, we're doing a deep dive into some of the ways that life can be anxiety-inducing and what it looks like to find your calm in the midst of it all. Here's the truth. I don't know how to avoid chaos or how to prevent the anxiety that chaos inevitably causes, but I have had more than a little practice in finding my calm when life beckons anxiety instead. If you're looking for space to take a deep breath, steady yourself, and discern what you need to move forward, you're right where you belong. Listen in for a few simple tips to find your calm and take your next faithful steps forward. We were the first of our friends to become parents. Isabel entered the world and we'd read the books and somehow found ourselves clueless anyways. We tried all the things and often felt like nothing was working. Our sweet baby girl would cry for hours. I'm serious, hours. We'd feed, change, and cuddle her, and nothing seemed to soothe her cries, which to me seemed to indicate she was in pain. When we expressed our concerns to our daughter's pediatrician, she looked at us like we were adorable, clueless new parents looking for a quick fix. When Isabel was six months old, we turned a corner. We felt like we were just getting our feet underneath us, like just maybe we'd figured this parenting thing out, and then we found out we were pregnant. 13 months after becoming parents, we found ourselves parents of two under two, and suddenly we had to learn how to parent all over again. Because if you have more than one child, or you had a sibling, or you've ever met two children from the same family, you know that no two children are exactly the same which means that no two children can be parented exactly the same. Adulthood is a lot of work, and parenthood piles on top. Then you multiply that by however many children you have, all needing you in different ways, and you have a recipe for overwhelm. Is it possible to parent each of your kids uniquely while not losing your mind? This I can emphatically answer yes to. I'm currently parenting four kids ages 9 to 17 and have parented a dozen or so children who've come through our home through short-term placements, and I've learned a few ways to navigate this particular brand of chaos. So I'm going to give you a few steps of how you can navigate what it looks like to parent each of your kids uniquely. First, become a student of your own child. You don't need to be an expert. You don't need to know everything all at once. You don't need to have it all figured out. Take a learning posture and stick with it. Pay attention to things like what needs they have, what brings them joy, what is challenging or frightening for them. And if they have unique or specialized needs, study their diagnosis and become an active participant in their treatment. The gift of this posture is that it takes the pressure off. We parent our kids out of what we know today, and as we learn more, we adjust. Learners are flexible, they practice self-compassion, and they remain curious. When my youngest daughter Josie was a little bit younger, she struggled to express her feelings with words, or at times even show or share her emotions besides anger. Okay, she still struggles with those things, to be honest. She is my mini-me in so many ways, and as a child, I was often told I was a tough read. Who am I kidding? People still tell me I'm a tough read. 
because I didn't express or show a lot of emotion, I was often viewed as tough, even keel, calm, collected. Occasionally, my inability to express how I feel makes me a blank slate for people to project their own hurts or their hangups from previous relationships or experience onto me. And I wanted something different for Josie. So I began to study her, looking for nuance in facial expressions, patterns in her responses, what made her light up, and what made her shut down. We worked a great deal on naming feelings. I asked a lot of questions. I created safe spaces for her to share her thoughts and eventually her feelings. Whereas some of my other kids seemed to express emotions from birth, it took Josie years and we're still learning together. I could have focused on managing her behavior and with years of experience parenting her siblings, I had plenty of tools and tricks, but I chose the route of learning the ins and outs of how God created her and there's not a finish line to that course. When we take the posture of expert, we're setting a standard of perfection that we can't meet. Experts are almost infallible. They have amassed knowledge and operate out of that knowledge with confidence. If I need surgery, I want an expert, someone who can lean into motor memory and familiar stores of knowledge to work with precision. But my kids need something more flexible, someone who can adjust or accept new information because they don't have it all figured out. When Zion was born, we had the benefit of years of experience parenting his sisters. We brought him home from the hospital not only more prepared than we'd been with our first two, but more relaxed as well. We didn't sweat the small stuff, and when he slept through the night almost immediately, rarely cried, and adjusted with ease to life in a big family, we were sure it was because we'd finally figured it all out and hacked this parenting thing. We were so confident we decided we could handle one more. And then came Josie, who refused to sleep anywhere but my arms for weeks, almost as if she entered the world knowing she'd have to fight for attention. We jokingly refer to her as our slice of humble pie baby because when we thought we had it all figured out, she proved us wrong. But in the end, that humble pie reminded me what I'd learned from my first two, that being a student of our children is a far more effective way to parent each child. So once you see yourself as a student of each unique child, you can take the next step. Find ways to connect with each child uniquely. Some kids will naturally ask for or even demand attention, while others will fade into the background if you let them. It takes intentionality to see each child and form healthy relationships with them as individuals. Two of my kids seek me out and they tell me what they need. These are also my kids that struggle more, so while they tend to get a lot of attention, it doesn't always feel positive. My challenge with each of them is to find ways to connect with them in warm and positive ways. One of my kids could live their whole life without any help from me, or so it seems. This child is independent, but while her capability is a strength, I know that her independence can make it hard for her to let people in, so my challenge for her is to connect regularly and intentionally. And my last kid is still young enough to need a fair amount of attention and care, getting ready for school, going to bed, navigating sibling spats. My challenge for her is to slow down and enjoy the season while it lasts. Here's a few practical ways that I connect with each child individually. 
One is nail nights with one of my teenagers. I personally have zero interest in having manicured nails, but my teenager loves trying new colors and matching her nails to each season. So I splurged for an Olive and June Manny system and about once a week or so we sit down, we do our nails and we either watch a show or talk about how things are going for her. Sometimes these conversations are focused on Harry Styles or the book she's reading. Sometimes they drift towards a relationship that feels hurtful in this season or the struggle to balance competing expectations or how she's managing anxiety. Because she's motivated to do her nails and there's an unspoken rule to invite me to join her, this little routine is self-sustaining. For my other teenager, we have a pretty regular rhythm of checking in. She has some unique challenges that prompt these check-ins and she'll often flop on my bed and spill the tea. While we are completely different, almost polar opposites, our connection tends to come easily and naturally. And by simply checking in with her, it often opens the door for deeper conversations. As she has struggled with her mental health over the last couple of years, I've also intentionally taken her on a couple of trips. It's easy to get caught in a rhythm of appointments or medications, but teenagers swamped by their own emotions benefit from time away to just breathe. So in a unique season, I went out of my way to steal her away and I will never regret that decision. For my younger two, the way I consistently and intentionally connect with them individually is through what we call snuggle nights. One night a week, they get to fall asleep in my bed and I go to bed early with them. We spend a little time chatting and catching up on their thoughts and feelings and current events. And I found that bedtime is when my little kids feel most comfortable opening up. Bonus, I get two nights a week where I get to go to bed early and catch up on some much needed sleep. And because I'm doing it with my kids, I don't even have to feel guilty. After all, I'm doing it for the kids. Win-win. Okay, and also PSA, you do not have to feel guilty for going to bed early, ever. Not if you have tiny kids or big kids. Taking care of yourself, getting the rest you need is always an excellent choice. So... If you're navigating parenthood as a student of your child or children, and you're finding ways to connect with each child uniquely, and hopefully you're going to bed early sometimes because this is the best, then now what? It's likely that as you are remaining curious about your child and connecting with your child, that you're still encountering challenges that you may find leave you stumped. Maybe those challenges are sticking points for you. They can become obstacles that make it hard for you to enjoy your child. Or maybe they even make it hard for you to like them sometimes. I get it. I've been there. And if you haven't, well, maybe your kids trend easy or maybe you've been blessed with extra patience. Bless you. Here's my tip for seeing your child's challenges, not as problems, but as gifts in their own way. Work backwards and chart your child's strengths alongside their corresponding challenges. Here's what I mean. When Isabel was pretty little, I remember reading a book that prompted this exercise. I wish I could remember the book. I remember it took a more positive approach to kids who, when I was growing up, were referred to as, quote, strong-willed. Anyways, the exercise directed me to list some of my child's most inspiring qualities, the things I love about her that were special or unique. Once I finished that list, it explained how my child's best qualities had a flip side a corresponding challenge, and inviting me to list those challenges right next to their positive counterpart. So something I loved about Isabel was the way she was so caring. She was my kid who would share the most beautiful and expressive words, telling me how much she loved me and appreciated me. 
I cherished the moments we would talk and cuddle and the way she could express her emotions in encouraging and inspiring ways. The flip side of her expressive words and feelings was that she struggled to regulate her emotions. As deeply as she felt and communicated positive emotions, she just as deeply felt and communicated negative emotions. I came to realize that I wouldn't change her big feelings and her ability to express those feelings for the world because I couldn't bear the thought of losing the part of her that was so generously kind and loving. Instead of viewing her tender heart and her dysregulated behaviors as different parts of her or even as opposing parts of her, I came to see those things as points on different ends of a continuum. So then instead of parenting her with a perspective of how can I stop these behaviors, I was able to parent her with a perspective of how can I help her move towards this end of the continuum? Going through that list, I saw that each difficult behavior, so to speak, had a corresponding positive. This was so freeing as I came to see her not as a list of good and bad or easy and difficult behaviors, but as a whole person who needed coaching toward her strengths. And as we moved towards her strengths, her challenges either fell away or became less prevalent. Now, we would describe that as part of a growth mindset. My kids talk about this at school. It's a way of seeing our kids as having strengths and challenges and recognizing that while they struggle in some areas, we can support them towards growth into their strengths. Maybe your child can't self-regulate yet. Maybe they can't use their words appropriately yet. Maybe they can't complete a task yet. But viewing them as an integrated and whole person, you can coach them in that direction without feeling the need or pressure to get this behavior or get that attitude under control. As we come to the end of this episode, I hope it sparked some new ideas or given you a new lens through which to view your child or children uniquely as fearfully and wonderfully made by a God who delights in them as he delights in you. But I imagine that for some of you, more parenting advice that's directed towards most families or the typical child can fall flat. All kids are unique. But sometimes as a parent, we recognize that our child is more than unique, that while all kids have their challenges, some experience challenges that leave us white knuckling our way through everyday life, like it's a roller coaster. And we can sense that our kids are white knuckling it too. Whether these kids struggle with their mental health or they're neurodivergent, whether they received a diagnosis or maybe that's the next step as parents, We often need more insight and information to support them well. So our next episode will focus on just that, what it looks like to support kids who have unique or more defined challenges. If you have a child who's been labeled as strong-willed or spicy or even something more clinical, or if you just have a child in your life who fits those categories, hint, I promise you do. Join me the next week to dive in a little further into this idea of parenting unique kids. And now, a practice. A next faithful step forward, finding your calm amidst the ebbs and flows of parenting unique kids in unique ways. Today's practice is just a simple exercise in self-compassion. It's likely that you had moments in the last few days, or perhaps even while listening to this podcast, where you felt tempted or compelled to measure yourself against an impossible standard. As parents, we want good and wonderful things for our kids. And when we bump against the limits of our humanity, 
it's easy to listen to our inner critic telling us we are not good enough, that we can do more or be more, that we can do better or be better. Here's what I know to be true. Practice makes progress, not perfection. And our kids don't need perfect parents. Our imperfections create space for us to point our kids to a perfect God. He is faithful to fill in all the gaps we inevitably leave behind. So join me right now, closing your eyes and taking a deep, slow breath. Think back on the last day or so, focusing in on encounters with your child or your children. Pause and linger in the moments where you felt connected to your child, where you were able to parent out of your strengths, where you handled a challenge in a way that you are proud of, where you discovered or celebrated your child's strengths. As you encounter these moments in your memory, name the good. What was beautiful or life-giving about that moment? The look on your child's face, the emotions you experienced. Now consider how you'd speak to a friend in that moment. What encouragement or affirmation would you extend to them? And speak those affirming words to yourself. Were you patient, present in the moment? Did you remain flexible? Did you extend love and care? Affirm those things in yourself. I hope this practice has been life-giving and affirming for you today. Tonight, when you're falling asleep, I'd recommend you repeat this practice, looking back through your day, focusing on encounters with your child, pausing and lingering in the moments that were good or that you are proud of, naming the good both in the moment and in you within that moment. Make this practice a regular way of closing your day, especially if self-compassion is a struggle for you. I tend to fall asleep counting my mistakes like sheep, and a practice of noticing the good has been life-giving. Thank you for joining us today for episode two in season two of the Find Your Calm podcast. I hope you were able to connect with yourself to get your bearings, find your focus, begin to enjoy, or at least truly experience that life that is within and around you. Life is chaotic. We know this to be true. But even in the midst of chaos, you can find your calm and take your next faithful steps forward. As always, you can connect with me on Instagram as Noel C. Guevara. You can also find me at noelcguevara.com. If you found today's tips to be useful and you want more, head to my website and sign up for my newsletter. A new one goes out every month, and I'm looking forward to sharing the things that are helping me find my calm right now. I would also love it if you would share this podcast with anyone that you think it might be helpful for. Until next time, I'm Noelle C. Guevara, and I'm so grateful to be your host and guide as we navigate the chaos of life together.